And here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, July the 6th in the year of our Lord 2020. And we're taking a look at reading from the sixth Sunday after Pentecost, which is July the 12th in the year of our Lord 2020. And the readings come from Isaiah 55, Matthew 13, and Romans 8. We're going to be doing the Romans passage simply because during this particular season, we have been listening to readings that Paul has written to the Romans, and we're now in chapter 8, beginning with verse 12. And the goal is to take a look at the English, but to provide you with the deeper meaning that is found in the Scripture. Uh, For example, there's no doubt about it that God hid from people the true meaning of the Scriptures because they thought they were smarter than God. They thought they were wise in their own condition. And Jesus even thanked the Father for doing that so that he could come and explain to believers what is going on. Now, it's very important to understand Romans 8, verse 12. He begins, so then, brothers. Now, why does he use the word brothers? That term is used to refer to believers in the faith, both men and women. So obviously, this epistle is being written to Christians, because what follows only can occur with Christians. He says, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, you need to go back a bit in Romans, uh, particularly chapter 6, where Paul talks about that, do you not know in verse 16, that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey whether of sin to death or of obedience to righteousness. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about what he had also referred to in Romans 7, about the distinction between the old Adam and the new man. The old Adam, which is the unbeliever, and also our old self within us, desires to be slaves to sin. Why? We enjoy being a slave to sin because now we can do whatever we want. You see, all that sin is, is rebellion against the will of God. And therefore, to be a slave to sin means we don't really care what God is telling us is his will. If that isn't obvious in today's world, I don't know what is. Uh, Look at the immorality that many people are practicing and saying. 
That is because they love to be slaves to sin. But what is the result of being a slave to sin? Death. And we're not talking about mortal death. We're talking about eternal death. That we are no longer going to have God as our comforter. But God will be with us in wrath. Therefore, being a slave to sin is really looking forward to death apart from Jesus Christ. In contrast to being a slave to righteousness. Now, what does that mean? Uh, The word slave also can mean servant. So when we are a slave to sin, we serve sin because we get what we want. When we are a slave to righteousness, we serve the Holy Spirit who was given to us in the waters of baptism. And therefore, as many passages in the Bible point out, being a slave to the Holy Spirit means that we are therefore free from the wages of sin. Why is that? Because if you remember the Pentecost sermon of Peter, the people, after they realized they had killed the Messiah, what shall we do? And Peter doesn't tell them what they are to do, but what they are to receive. Be baptized. And now listen to the two gifts you receive. You will receive the gift of the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. The remission of sins or forgiveness of sins removes us from the threat of eternal death because Jesus has paid for the penalty of those sins by his death on the cross. And the gift of the Holy Spirit moves us to do good works, but not outwardly, like even an atheist can do, but inwardly, motivated by love of Christ. And it is that righteousness that God looks to as evidence Not as the basis of, but as the evidence that we are Christians. They can never become the basis of our salvation. Because then we're saved by works. And we simply are not saved by works. We're saved instead by the grace of God. Not by works, lest anyone should boast. So getting back to our text, verse 13, in light of looking back at 6 and 7 in Romans, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That's living according to the debt of sin. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, that needs explanation, because how do most people imagine that a person puts to death the deeds of the body, that is, sin? 
you put it to death by not doing it anymore, which is the teaching of every other religion in the world. You get right with their God, if they have one, by doing good, by doing righteous. This is why so many people are concerned that when they die, what will happen to them? Will they go to heaven if they have one or not? And they're worried about that because they're under the impression that put to death the deeds of the body means to stop sinning. That is not how the deeds of the body are put to death. They're put to death by an act of humility on the part of the sinner who remains a sinner. What is that act? Well, it was a message of the forerunner, John the baptizer. Remember what he said? Repent of your sins. Now, this might seem strange, that you put to death the results of your sin through repentance. But you need to understand the word repentance. It is a change of attitude, a change of mind. It is a change where you now look at your sin and you are horrified that you are a sinner. For all of us fall short of the glory of God. And it causes us to fear God. It kind of reminds us of Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, nobody really wanted to be there. Because as Moses received the commandments, there was thunderings and lightnings and loud noises. We, we even know, I have members of my family, who when there was a lightning storm, would go into a closet to stay away from the noise and the fierce lightning. Well, it just so happens that the fires of Mount Sinai and the loud noise also occurred at Pentecost. And when we take a look at Pentecost, what do we find? We find flames of fire on the heads of the disciples. There's a loud noise. People are speaking in foreign tongues. We just, what is going on? But the difference between Sinai and Pentecost is that while Sinai could really hurt you, anybody who touched the mountain died immediately, Pentecost was nothing but comfort. For you receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Nobody who had a flame of fire on their heads died, but they were able to speak languages of those who had come to the Pentecost celebration. So, that's what verse 13 is talking about. If by the Spirit, and that's capitalized, that's not your inward spirit, which is of the flesh, but the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
and putting to death the deeds of the body means to put them to death by repentance. You reject your sin. You are fully aware of what it could lead to, but you are contrite over that sin. That's what repentance really means. That is a wonderful gift that God gives us in Christianity that is not found in any other religion. But that's only half of the gift. Because as we said, Pentecost, the gift of the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why the Holy Spirit? In order that we might do works of righteousness. Those works are done out of love for Jesus Christ without any self-interest involved in them. It's very difficult for us to decide when we're doing a work of righteousness because, unfortunately, when we reach such a conclusion, we are also saying, boy, that good work is perfect. I don't have any self-interest involved at all, which is not true according to our old Adam. There's no good work that a Christian does who is also a sinner at the same time that does not involve self-interest. Uh, you may do a good action for someone, maybe giving them a drink of water when they are thirsty. But even though that may be done out of motivation, out of love for Jesus, the other motivation is always there. It makes you look good, not only in their eyes, but also in your own eyes. It's the mark of the Pharisee. They would wear extensive pyramids with all kinds of tassels on them. And the more that you found on their robes, the more righteous they thought they were. They loved to pray in public because it gave the impression that they were really one of God's. And therefore, they looked down on Jesus, who ate with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. Because as Jesus said, I have not come to receive those who think they are so righteous. I have come to call sinners to repentance for when that true repentance is found that's motivated by the Holy Spirit then you receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins now what does that mean verse 14 Romans 8 expands for as many as are led by the Spirit of God these are sons of God. Now, a couple of things that need to be understood here. Led by the Spirit of God only takes place in the life of a Christian who has received the Spirit of God through faith or in holy baptism. And when you receive that Spirit of God, you become like Abraham. Abraham was told that his wife, Sarah, 
who is way past giving birth would have a child. The name would be Isaac, and he would be the one through whom would come the Messiah. Abraham believed that. How could he believe that? Because he believed in God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit. Nobody comes to faith apart from the Holy Spirit. And then when you have that Holy Spirit, you not only begin to believe what the Bible says about the history of God's workings in his people, like crossing the dry Red Sea and so forth, but you also believe the gospel promises that through the seed of Eve would come the Messiah who would crush the head of Satan, the serpent, which means Satan would be put to death. So, Paul continues in verse 15, Romans 8. He's talking now to the sons of God. Oh, one point about sons of God is not just about males. Uh, remember in that day, many of the fathers, when they died, le left a will and testament primarily to their sons. The sons received the will and testament of the death of their father. What Jesus is saying is that not just males, but men and women who believe in me are sons of God. Even women receive the benefits of the death and the testament of Jesus. That's why we call it a New Testament. It's a new covenant, a new testament. He that believes in me shall never die, as Jesus said to Mary at the death of Lazarus. So going on with verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Now, who's the spirit of bondage? That's a small s. That's none other than the devil himself. And Jesus makes clear that he has come to destroy the works of the devil. You were a work of the devil. You were in the kingdom of the devil. Until God, what he did through baptism, through hearing the word of God, brought you into a new kingdom, the kingdom of the Holy Spirit. So you are not in a kingdom that leads to fear. You are now in a kingdom that leads to joy and to wonderful comfort. Verse 15 continues. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, that's kind of interesting. What is the word Abba? When I would come home from working, my daughter might meet me at the door and says, Oh, Father, 
it's good to have you home. No, she wouldn't say that. She would say, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy's home. Uh, The word Daddy is a word used by children to refer to the father. Similarly, the Greek word Abba, A-B-B-A, is more like Daddy. In fact, we believe that Jesus began the Lord's Prayer with our Abba, who art in heaven. Because God treats you like a father would treat his daughter. A loving relationship between God the Father and you. And notice how you became a son of God. You didn't become a son of God by being born in the family. That means you are not begotten. There's only one begotten son. That's Jesus. Then how did men and women become sons of God in the family? They became sons of God by adoption. That's God's favorite metaphor for how you were brought into the family. And when you adopt a little child, you adopt the child with his original sin, with his misbehaviors, yet he still becomes your son, as we have become the sons of God. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, when you become a child of God, it becomes obvious to your spirit within you. How does it become obvious? By what you are doing, by your fruits. You praise the Holy Trinity. You attend worship services. You love to hear Bible studies. This is a way in which the spirit within you has been transformed by the Holy Spirit. And you can now recognize, yes, I am a Christian. And if somebody ever asks you, what is the evidence that you know you're a Christian? You always turn to a promise of God. And that promise of God is found in the waters of baptism. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. So, verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Verse 17, there's another gift we received, not only the forgiveness of sins, not only the gift of the Holy Spirit, not only that we are children of God, but listen to verse 17. And if children, then heirs, H-E-I-R-S, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, 
that we may also be glorified together. Now, that sounds confusing, that we're going to become children of God by suffering with him. It all depends how you understand that word suffer. It's, it's not talking about that you have a serious illness or bad things are happening in your life. But that suffering occurs, the first thing you do is when you reject your sin. That means that you repent. That's an act of suffering because you're putting down your old Adam, yourself within you. And then remember the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. If you are a Christian, especially in this country today, and you voice the will of God, you will suffer. People will look down on you. But that means that because you're suffering, you will be glorified with Jesus in heaven. On the next Law and Gospel, we're going to read a hymn and analyze it. Almighty God, your word is cast. What does that mean? Join us on the next Law and Gospel. I'm Tom Baker. A blessing to you. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.